And the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes and the Oscar to... Goes to. My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I could have been a contender. Fasten yourself. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer. Yeah. All real man. Love is, is love. too weak a word. Stay back. I, I, I love you. I love you. I love you. I did as you Don't laugh! If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it and validate it. Remember that you told me? It's time, Robbie! Welcome to the next Best Picture Podcast. And the Oscar goes to Green Book. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 165 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Neglia. Time of recording, 11.05 a.m. on October 27th, 2019. Here to join me today, I have Michael Schwartz. Hello, everyone. Casey Lee Clark. Hello. Dan Bayer. Good morning. Lauren LaMagna. Hello, everybody. And Tom O'Brien. Hi, everyone. So, guys, exciting week. We got, like, some of our first nominations for uh, Phase 2, the uh, Critics Award season. Uh, We got Gotham Independent Film Award nominations, International Documentary Association, and Australian Academy of Cinema and Television Arts. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's starting to happen. It's starting to, uh, the you know, the snowball's starting to roll down the mountain here. And when we get around to, you know, like Thanksgiving, uh, that's when it's going to really, really kick off in a major way. And you'll start seeing basically critics groups every single week, uh, pretty much every single day, multiple a day. <laughs> and it'll just be an onslaught. But I think it's very, very important to remember here before we get like into uh, this time of the year, which is a lot of fun and very exciting um, what this all means because I think when some people see a list of nominations they immediately are like oh my gosh like this is gonna get an Oscar nomination and it's not that clear cut and dry um, so like Michael why don't you like tell our uh, audience that may not be as familiar with this period of the year like what all these critics awards are ultimately going to mean yeah, so with the Critics Awards that start around late November, right after Thanksgiving, and go into early January in most cases, they don't exist necessarily to push films into the Oscar race, but by awarding certain titles, especially titles that might, that might be fringe contenders, it at least gives them a bit of a boost so that when Academy members decide to watch movies, they could look at something like the New York Film Critics Circle and say, oh, well, this movie I never heard of won an award, maybe I'll watch it. And if enough people watch it, maybe it does launch into the Oscar conversation. So it's there as a launching pad for smaller titles. But there are also times like six years ago when Jared Leto, you know, swept the season or Patricia Arquette swept the year later. You'll see narratives start to form and patterns start to come out of these critics awards. And that's what we're going to start looking for. Smaller titles that get a boost and patterns that start to form early on. They can start to tell us a general consensus idea, um, but then sometimes that sort of thing doesn't work. Look at uh, last year, for example, where Ethan Hawke won the most Best Actor prizes for his performance in First Reformed and didn't get an Oscar nomination for it uh, at all. Don't remind me. (laughs) I know, seriously. Well, at the same time, you saw Alfonso Cuaron pretty much sweep the circuit for Best Director. Right, exactly. 
So, uh, starting off this year, like I said, we had uh, three announcements this week uh, in regards to that. We're also going to talk about the initial reactions to Little Women. We're going to talk about the polls. We're going to go over the trailer for Antlers, a new film from Scott Cooper. And we're also going to answer your fan questions as well. But to kick us off here, I'm going to ask a question. And that question is, Casey Lee Clark, what did you see this week? I saw a lot of things, and I'm probably not going to go into them all individually just because then we'll, we'll be here all day. But you can look at my Twitter and Letterboxd for everything I've been seeing in the Philadelphia Film Festival. I've been having the time of my life. And yeah, I'd say the best thing I saw all week was near the beginning of the week, which was Marriage Story last Sunday, which is, it's going to take a lot for that to be beaten as my favorite movie of the year. But yeah, it's as great as everybody says, and it broke me. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then kind of like bouncing off that, cause I know that, uh, he saw it with you, Michael. Yes. I saw marriage story with Casey last week at the Philadelphia film festival. And it too is my favorite film of the year so far. May stay that way by the end of the year. It is a pitch perfect movie with outstanding, outstanding performances from Adam driver and Scarlett Johansson, both of whom I think will take home Oscars in February. Laura Dern, Alan Alda, Ray Liotta, also terrific in supporting roles, but this is just one of the sharpest screenplays, one of the funniest movies of the year while still packing a real punch. It's a drama that happens to have funny moments, but it, it was just such a joy to see this movie, and I'm looking forward to watching it again on Netflix. Awesome. Really, really cool. Uh, Lauren, how about you? So me and my friends took a little field trip to see Parasite, and I already saw it, so it's a really cool scene other people's first reactions to Parasite because it is such an awesome film. I We've all praised and all say the same thing, so I'm very much still on the same bandwagon. But it was my, it was my first time seeing someone take it in for the first time, and it was just so cool. And you just see everything new about it, and you see things that are different. And it's just a phenomenal film, and it's definitely one of my top five, definitely. So, again, if you're living under a rock and haven't seen Parasite, please try to see it. Absolutely. I saw Parasite too, and second everything you say there, Lauren. I tell you, the more and more I think about it, the more and more I think Parasite could be our general consensus best picture winner because it's just a film that I think is going to rank so, so highly for so many people this year. It's pretty crazy. Uh, Tom? Um, I just wanted to add my voice to the people who uh, have been praising Dolomite is my name. Uh, it's been, it's absolutely terrific. If you can see it in the theater, please do. It is so colorful in terms of especially Ruth Carter's costumes. I currently have her as number one in my uh, my Oscar picks for, the, for that category. Not a bad choice. It's a really remarkable piece of work. And next time I see it, I'm just going to turn the sound down and, and watch the parade of, of uh, designs that she has come up with for this because everyone is pitch perfect. Uh, I think it's the best film that uh, Craig Brewer's done so far. I, mean, I was a big fan of Hustle and Flow, but I think this is even more assured. And Eddie Murphy, for goodness sakes, what a wonderful performance. It it it, it has a, a lot of the gravitas that he brought to Dreamgirls, uh, but but it, it's, it, it reminds us of the Eddie Murphy that we once loved. It, he's back. And he's back in a big way. And it's I think it's really an award-worthy performance. I don't know whether he's going to get in, but I think he's certainly in the mix. So uh, we shall see. But if you um, can't see it in the theater, by all means, uh, order a pizza and uh, watch it on Netflix because it's really terrific. I might just do that tonight. Uh, I'm so happy to hear that, Tom. I'm going to watch <laughs> it right when we're done this podcast. 
<laughs> Great. <laughs> um, I, I really didn't have much desire to see uh, this week's wide openers countdown or black and blue. So I went to the art house and caught a couple of very good French films. The first is Cyrano, My Love, which is very Shakespearean lovey. Mm. Um, it's, uh, uh, it's about Edmund Rostand, who wrote uh, Cyrano de Bergerac in three weeks because he was forced to. And uh, this, in, this absolute masterpiece kind of came out of him. It is uh, very Shakespearean lovey. It also has some um, uh, elements of Steve Martin's Roxanne in it. And it's a, it's a basically a comedy with some drama, but I'm very, very impressed with the production values of this. This thing looks like it cost a fortune. And from what I understand, it didn't. Uh, so if you like a sweeping costume comedy drama, this is one for you. Nicole, where are you? (laughs) (laughs) No, I saw the trailer for that, uh, maybe a week or two ago and it looks so good. It's really fun. Uh, the other one's a little more serious, uh, and, but, uh, really good it's called by the grace of god and it's uh directed by written and directed by francois ozone who had done the musical eight women years ago uh swimming pool with uh, uh charlotte rampling and a very good movie in 2012 called in the house this one is takes on the catholic pedophilia scandal but from the point of view of the victims and it's about three men in their late 30s who um, all have noticed that a the priest who molested them as children is now back working with kids. And like the reporters of Spotlight, they take it upon themselves to uh, publicize and get the word out that this guy is dangerous and what is the church doing putting him back with kids. It's very strong, it's very powerful, and I think it would be a uh, wonderful companion piece to Spotlight. Okay, really cool. That's awesome. Uh, Dan Baer? Uh, So I started off this week by seeing The Lighthouse. And for more of my thoughts, you can listen to our podcast review that was released yesterday. Um, But suffice it to say, that movie is batshit insane and is one of the greatest technical achievements of the year um, with fantastic performances from Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson. And you should go see it. And then I saw Parasite, which I, um, (laughs) I wish I loved it at the level of everyone else. Um, but instead I'm just like, it's really, 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 really good. (laughs) Um, I, 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 couldn't quite get over the hump to love all-time favorite thing, but oh my god, wow, that movie, wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. And uh, then yesterday, um, I'll say you and I saw a very blonde uh, late-year release, and it's got the goods. <laughs> I am going to echo that. Um, I definitely think that... Uh, bombshell uh for those that aren't picking up on it uh definitely has a lot going for it and um i am guessing that john lithgow will receive his first oscar nomination mm-hmm. um i think margot robbie and charlie steron are both getting in i think the film will get in for makeup i think editing is on the table mm-hmm. and i think the best picture is on the table as well absolutely so more to come on that later uh, but for now, uh, what else? What else? I'm trying to think. 
Oh, yeah. I saw Terminator <laughs> Dark Fate, <laughs> uh, which was it, it basically is the best Terminator film since Terminator 2 Judgment Day, which isn't saying much, in my opinion. Uh, but what it does is it takes a lot of familiar elements from that movie and mixes it in with uh, some new uh, perspective. And um, the three female characters in this movie are so badass. I, I like Mackenzie Davis. Holy crap. She is amazing in this movie. I loved her so much. Um, Lin- Linda Hamilton. I, you know, it's like the, these three uh, women just completely outshined Arnold in this. And, you know, he's fun to watch, too, of course. Uh, the, the only thing that that movie is hurt by is uh, the screenplay is uh, completely eye rolling at times. Uh, with some really, really cheesy lines. Like, the minute, like, a character says, I'll be back, I'm like, really? We're doing that again? <laughs> you know? So, otherwise, uh, good popcorn entertainment. You could do a hell of a lot worse. Um, I saw Uncut Gems again, <laughs> and I am so glad that I did. Oh, tell me you like that. Yeah, because when I saw the Telluride, um, and I talked to the Safties about this after the movie screened, uh, they had told me that the sound mix was not... A hundred percent. And, you know, they kind of rushed it for the premiere, basically. Um, and I, I don't know if that tiff, if it was any different um, than what played at Telluride. Um, but everyone told me that, you know, it wasn't as bad at tiff um, as what was reported initially. And so when I watched it again, yeah, it was a night and day complete difference. Um, it was not as loud as I remember it being. The sound mix was much more clear. I understood the dialogue so much better. Um and it just overall like impacted my entire viewing experience, and I loved it so much more this time around. So I'm very, very glad that I gave it a second shot. It's still, in my opinion, Adam Sandler's best work to date. I don't think that he is going to get uh, the industry recognition like from places like Golden Globes and the Oscars and such for it, because I don't know if this like this is not like an Academy friendly movie. But I don't know. Listen, hey. I'm also uh, saying right now that I think they're going to go for Willem Dafoe in The Lighthouse, another A24 film. So what the hell do I know <laughs> in terms of <laughs> Academy-friendly movies, right? So in any event, a uh, very, very interesting week. Uh, it was a lot of fun for sure. And now uh, what I want to do is I want to ask you guys if any of this has changed since last week. Last week I asked you all what do you think is going to be the next Best Picture Oscar winner. Michael, have you changed your tune or are you still sticking with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood today? Oh, that's a tough one. I think we have a wide open race here, and I could really see a number of these movies doing it in the end. Uh, yeah, I'm going to stick with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood just because I've yet to be convinced of anything else. All right. Uh, Casey? Yeah, uh, I have Marriage Story on the site, and I'm somewhat confident in that, but I think there's definitely a few other things that I've seen in recent weeks that I could see happening, like Irishman or Jojo Rabbit, but I'll stick with Marriage Story for now. All right. Dan Bear. I have no clue. Um, (laughs) No, honestly, the race seems wide open to me. I could see a world where it strangely is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I could see a world where it's a marriage story, where it's the Irishman. I could see a world where everyone says fuck it and gives it to Parasite, which would make me really happy. Um, I could see some a lot of things that haven't been released yet. Um, but based on, you know, what I've heard and what we know about it, um, until the season proves me otherwise, I'm sticking with 1917. Okay. All right. Lauren? 
I have marriage story from my list, and I'm still on the bandwagon for this until proven otherwise. I just think it has everything going for it. If something can upset it, I do see 1917 weaseling its way in there. But I just think marriage story is so strong, especially right now, and especially after um, we had some um, award nominations coming out. So it's already starting its trailblaze, and it's already starting to pick up. And I don't see it stopping anytime soon. So right now, yeah, I'm still on the marriage story train. And Tom? I think I'm I'm with Michael. I'm going to stick with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, probably because Best Picture now with this, this new ballot is completely a consensus choice. And I think that um, it's going to do very well with the techs, unlike a few other um, films we've been talking about. And if you have the te- uh, the uh, technicians on your side, uh, that's a the good uh, head start in heading towards a consensus Best Picture nominee. So I'm going to stick with it. I was able to make room for a production design nomination for Parasite in my predictions recently. And I was like this close to picking it as, uh, you know, the best picture winner based on what you guys are saying, you know, consensus. Uh, but I'm having a hard time seeing it getting any kind of acting nominations. And uh, traditionally speaking, oh, you really I need that. I think there's one on the table. Oh, no, I think it is too. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, just I need to see critics go for it and mm-hmm. like force it into existence, you know? Mm-hmm. If he gets like a Critics' Choice nomination or something like that after afterward, um, or if the film shows up in SAG for ensemble or something, I, I mean, like, w- I need to see the momentum. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Because right now it's not widely predicted. This actor, Song Kang Ho, mm-hmm. who should be up for supporting actor, he was yeah. terrific. Oh, he's and great. He's going to do it. You know, he can maybe be like the Marina de Tavera who just surprises on nomination morning. Could, yo, it, it totally could happen. That, yeah. That's true. We didn't see – no one saw that coming really. Neon has to get that cast out in front of voters. Absolutely right. That because is- everyone in that cast is fantastic. Yeah. Right. Oh, he was great. And uh, the actress uh, whose name I'm blanking on over in supporting actress, uh, the, the Joe Yang Zhang. No, the, the, the mom, uh, the, mo- the mother. mother. Yeah, yeah. She's good. They're both great, but uh, Sang Kang Ho is like the heart of that movie. Oh, a hundred percent agreed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What I will say is that I'm still defaulting on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but I I do agree that we do not have a front runner. We do not have uh, a film like The Artist or Twelve Years a Slave or something like that where it feels pretty early on based on the festivals that this is the one. Um, and obviously there'll be challengers that come up and rise up against it and so on and so forth. But, you know, there's no film this year that anybody's declaring is the front runner this early right now, um, which is a good thing, I think. Yeah, it's exciting. Hi, everyone. This is Tim Costa. I'm Hermano De Silva. And this is Walter Vinci. And together we are the First Time Watchers Podcast. Each week we choose a movie to review that none of us has seen. Watch it together. And then discuss. These movies could be new. Or old. Or on our list of shame. You can find us on iTunes by searching for the First Time Watchers podcast. As well as on Stitcher. And we love interacting with our listeners, so if you have any suggestions, send us a tweet. An email. Or post to our Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you. That's right. I mean, it's all about interaction. And talk about what we love. Movies. And you don't have to worry about us going on and on about this and that and the other. And oh, no, look, no, no, let's no. talk stop, about stop, this minutiae Shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. And shut I wonder who the cat can God damn it, shut up. I think that's enough. Oh, so the question we asked last week on the poll was the same question. Which film do you think will be the next Best Picture Oscar winner? And the readers responded. 
And here is what they chose. And let's see. Like, you know what? Let's, let's do top 10 because, you know, maybe this will be, you know, the 10 best picture nominees. Mm-hmm. Okay, here we go. Number 10 uh, with 12 votes is A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Number 9, 18 votes is Little Women. Number 8 with 19 votes is Bombshell. Number 7 is Jojo Rabbit with 40 votes. Big jump there. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Number, hold on, I got this right. Six, yep. Uh, with 43 votes is 1917. Number five, with 50 votes, is Joker. Number four, with 111 votes, is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Number three, with 122 votes, is Parasite. <laughs> Number two, with 140 votes, is The Irishman. And number one, with five votes more, 145, is Marriage Story. And what I think is very interesting about that is it goes back to something that um, I spoke with Netflix about uh, a few weeks ago, which is the question was, other than Parasite, what movie is really, really like harshly competing against Marriage Story and Irishman right now for Best Picture? And, you know, I, I guess that answer really is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood probably, but until 1917, like, officially drops, um, which, you know, we'll, we'll be hearing a little bit about that around Thanksgiving time, I, 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 I don't know. I think it really might be between those four right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not a bad four. And Jojo Rabbit, I mean, I think this is right. Jojo Rabbit, I think, has a worse Metacritic score than Green Book does, I think. Mm-hmm. I might be wrong about that, but... Let's check that out. Well, a Metacritic? Yeah, I think really? so. Metacritic. I could be I could be wrong, but I, I remember overhearing that uh, recently. Yeah, but the thing about that also is that uh, Jojo Rabbit is still in New York and L.A. and slowly expanding. Yeah. So you don't have, like, the Philadelphia critics yet or, like, the Midwest critics. It's just people who have seen it at festivals. And the reason why I bring this up, though, is because a film historically with that low of a rating on both Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic – they, you know, it's it's kind of unprecedented. Like Green Book is Green Book is de- definitely stands out yeah, uh, so Book, much. Green Book has a sixty nine on Metacritic, and Jojo Rabbit currently has a fifty eight. Yeah, it's so weird. So weird. I don't. And I don't understand that rating at all. That it's one of the most joyous, hilarious movies of the year, frankly, and I don't understand why people are so low on it critics especially well sticking with the polls here for a second um you know the irishman uh is being released this week in theaters uh for two weeks and then it will be available to stream on netflix just in time for the uh happy thanksgiving holiday with the family you know you can sit Mm -hmm. back for three and a half Mm -hmm. hours Mm -hmm. uh so speaking of uh movies that are three and a half hours long this week's poll we're asking everyone which film that is over three hours long is their favorite Big, big list of films, lots of choices, some of the all-time great movies. I mean, you know, I don't know about you guys, but I, like, grew up on long movies. Like, Ten Commandments was something that we used to watch in my household all the time. Lawrence of Arabia and Gone with the Wind were, like, two movies my grandmother showed to me when I was pretty young. And, of course, as you all know, Lord of the Rings is my favorite film of all time. So, you know, that, like, Titanic, and it's like... Like I, I love three-hour films. I, I love movies that have time to breathe. You know, yeah. Uh, I don't know about you guys. How do you guys feel about like long movies? 
I'm down for them. You know, if it's a good story, well told, if it takes three hours, I'm I don't really care. Yeah. <laughs> it's like binge it's like binge watching three episodes of television. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. No, when the film's made really well and you really can live in that world and that whole society of, you know, this three hour epic, you really feel a part of that world. It's not just voyeurism anymore. You're a part of that community. And that's where I think, you know, when it's made really well, the three hour epic are normally one of the most, in my opinion, the strongest films out there. Yeah, definitely agreed. Um, And I mean, I think Irishman continues that trend. I think it's one of the strongest films of the year. And I think it's also one of Marty's uh, best. You know, he's had a lot of movies this past decade that people could point to and say, well, this is his dec- uh, his masterpiece of the decade. Because, you know, people have said like Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, Goodfellas have been and departed then were like his masterpieces for each decade. And everyone's now like saying, nope, Irishman is it, is it now at the last minute, <laughs> 2019. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, with that said, what is everyone's favorite uh, over three hour long film? Uh, a lot of choices here to choose from, from so many different uh, eras of uh, film. I had a hard time like just settling on one. I kind of didn't want to just automatically default to Lord of the Rings, to be honest with you. But I did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. I, I, I had to stay on brand and I went with Lord of the Rings Return of the mm-hmm. King. Uh, but I'll tell you this much. If that wasn't in there and I had to choose something else, I think as far as a favorite goes, I probably would have picked Barry Lyndon. I, I freaking love Barry Lyndon. It might it might be my favorite. Oh, I don't know. 2001 is pretty good. But yeah, it's up there for me <laughs> with Stanley Kubrick films. Uh, Michael, what about you? Uh, well, this is a tough one, and I'll tell you why. Because I was trying to see if this movie was over three hours or not. Some sites will list it as 179 minutes, and others will list it as 181 minutes. Ah, oh, Fiddler on the Roof, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I double-checked. So, just because you... I would normally go with that. It's not on the list that we have up on the site. So, just have those titles, because we're not sure where Fiddler falls. I want to be very clear about this, too. There are certain movies where the theatrical release was under three hours, and then there were, like, director's cuts that were released later, like Amadeus, for example... Uh, I, I strictly went with uh, theatrical release uh, runtime for these. Oh, you know what? Here, I just pulled my Blu-ray off the shelf. It says 181 minutes. We're sticking with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever MGM says goes. Do a write-in, Michael. Go ahead. All righty. Dan? Well, so I'm like – I'm with Michael. My favorite is actually one that you did not include in the poll, and I'm frankly – offended by this um the greatest over three hour movie is in fact the ten commandments oh no no no, dan it's there it's not there i looked no it's there well i'm looking at it right now it's there then you added it after anyway uh, (laughs) maybe check your eyes there buddy i don't know not there when i looked but um yeah so that that's my favorite all right all right that's going with the jewish movies (laughs) Represent. <laughs> 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 over three hours. So, Lauren? My favorite film of all time is the 11 time Academy Award winning Titanic. And it is Woo! just Yay. a perfect, cheesy, great, amazing masterpiece of a movie. I love James Cameron, can be a little complicated at times, especially now with the press. <laughs> but when the man makes a movie, he makes a movie. Yeah, And he's just, when he writes and directs his own stuff, he is on top of his game. 
I love Kate Winslet and Leonardo DiCaprio. I think they are the two, one of the most greatest actors of their generation, and I love them together. I want a third movie with them, and I can't wait until it happens, whether they're 80 when it happens or when it's next year. I want the third movie. We're going to get the remake of On Golden Pond with Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet. Just wait and watch. (laughs) That would be amazing. That would be amazing. Let's put that into the universe, shall we? (laughs) See, I love that collaboration with them. I love Cameron with, you know, historical drama and history and forbidden love. The scale of that movie is just insane. It's insane. Mm. And it has everything you want with, you know, story, history, action, drama, romance. And it's it's fucking great, man. And James <laughs> Horner's music is an all timer. Yeah, Easily. everything about it is great. Even the cheesy dialogue, you just can't help yeah. but feel. No, I, I, I'm with you. The only thing about that movie to this day that I just find to be so ridiculous and over the top and I just can't stand it at all is Billy Zane. <laughs> oh, he's just chewing the scenery. I, I, it, yeah. It's what, But it is fun. It, it's like, um, I don't remember the actor's name, but it's like the actor who plays um, the Duke in Moulin Rouge. Oh, uh, oh Richard yeah. Foxworth. And like it just it, both of those performances are just so scenery chewing to the point where uh, it it's bad, but it's like a fun bad. Yeah, but it's still okay. You know? yeah. <laughs> like okay. Did any of you see the IMAX 3D re-release back in 2012? Yep, I did. Yep, I have a poster in my room from it. I was very sad because I was seven years old at the time when the movie was released theatrically, so I never got a chance to ever watch it in a movie theater. So when they did re-release it, um, I jumped on it right away. I was like, I have to go. I have to experience this movie Mm -hmm. on a big screen with the surround sound and everything else. It was incredible, and I could totally see why people went back to the theater multiple times to watch it. Oh, yeah. I saw that like twice during that re-release. And I had seen Titanic many times before, but watching it there, it was like the first time, and it's it's a masterpiece. If I'm just picking movies actually on the site right Mm -hmm. now, I might have to go with that one because it's just like you say, so perfect. Casey? Yeah, my pick is one that became a recent favorite because I saw it on the big screen a few months ago thanks to TCM, and that's Lawrence of Arabia. Oh, so I, and it's one of those that I was like always avoiding. So I'm like, it's so long. I don't think I like these kinds of movies, blah, blah, blah. I genuinely think like act one of that movie, like pre-intermission is like the greatest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> so like, <laughs> it's just like, yeah, it's one of my absolute favorites. The score, Peter O'Toole, the cinematography, it's so good. Uh, but my runner-up that I will defend forever is Magnolia. So <laughs> Magnolia is a movie I need to revisit because I remember Damn. liking it during my quote unquote film bro days. All right. <laughs> I use that term loosely, but I will fully admit there was a period in my life where I truly was the stereotype film bro. And I I've seen it um, once since then. And I, I think I was going through more of a snobby phase. Um, and I want to now see it again, not right now, but maybe if it pops up like in a poll or something like that for the Patreon, whatever the case might be. Um, that's one I definitely want to revisit again because I feel like I have a very um, changing relationship with that film over the years. So, yeah, I saw it on 35 the other night and it was great. <laughs> yeah. Tom? Well, I'm I'm on the Lawrence bandwagon as well. I miss intermissions. Those were yes. awesome. Yes, they were great. And Lawrence Lawrence plays faster to me than a, some ninety minute movies I've seen. Yeah, and it's it, you know if a movie has the story and it's well directed, and God, that is well directed. Uh, you know, it just can fly by. 
Uh, I'd like to cheat a little bit uh, with Matt's uh, qualifications. Um, I, I'm going to pick Once Upon a Time in America. Uh, the, the original version was really butchered and it got released to, you know, not meant not much business, uh, at 139 minutes, right. but the 220 plus minute version was released around the rest of the world. And eventually we got it back in theaters and, uh, that version is just breathtaking. And that's a, a, another case of the two of uh, the, uh, the long version is so much feels so much shorter than the, uh, the u.s theatrical and uh it's a beautiful film and i think it's really to my mind it's his masterpiece you know i know i said this when avengers endgame came out because at the end of the day it played exactly like the same pacing of other marvel movies that had come out before and i was like oh yeah avengers endgame is like the quickest three-hour movie like i've ever seen um I, I genuinely think that The Irishman is the quickest over three-hour movie I think I've ever seen. Yeah, it plays. <laughs> it plays super well. Like the fact that I was like, oh, yeah, the first two hours fly by. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and I, I think it's very interesting how, like, each uh, hour of that movie, um, and I would separate the the last third as, like, the last hour and a half, but, like, each one of those sections, like, they feel like a, a section, you know what I mean? Um, I'm very, very excited. I'm like super, super excited for you all to check it out. Dan, I know you're going to head to the theater and see it here in New York. Mm -hmm. Casey, I know you've seen it. Tom, have you seen it yet? I haven't seen it yet. I'm anxious to see it on the big screen. It's going to be coming here locally and I'm really excited. Michael, I know you're waiting for Netflix, right? No, no, no. I'll see it on the big screen. Oh, you are? Oh, cool. When are you seeing it? it? It'll probably open in Philadelphia around like November 15th, I would think. Yeah, oh, okay. We're going to get it in a handful of theaters here. Oh, I didn't real—I didn't realize that. That's awesome. Yeah, all the Netflix movies have been opening. We've gotten everything from The Laundromat to El Camino and uh, Dolomite. Yeah, they're pulling out all the stops. Nice. Lauren, what about you? Are you going to wait for Netflix or are you going to try and see it in a the theater? Oh, I'm going on a train to New York City and seeing it in a the theater. Hell yeah. Call I'm me. Coming. All right. Yes, yes. Come. I'm coming. Yes, I'll, I'll sit through it again. Seven hours hasn't been enough for me. Let's bump it up to uh, ten and a half. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> NYC meetup. Let's go. Oh <laughs> All righty. So uh, that's our poll for this week. Head on over to the poll page at nextbestpicture.com. Cast a vote. Let us know which is your favorite uh, over three hour long movie. And by all means, if you can see The Irishman in the movie theater, Please do so. It definitely deserves uh, the support to be seen in the theater as it was always intended. Hey, everyone. I'm Aaron. And I'm Patrick. And together we host the Feelin' Film Podcast, a show that focuses more on the emotional takeaway from a movie experience rather than its technical merit. Yes, sir. Talking about what we love about film and focusing less on the critical side of things makes for a very entertaining and enjoyable discussion. New episodes drop every Monday morning. And you can catch them on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and many other podcasting networks. You can also find out more about the show at feelinfilm.com. In the meantime, as we say on the show, stay positive and keep feeling film. Okay, Gotham Independent Film Award nominations 2019. So the Gotham uh, Independent Film Awards, um, New York-based uh, journalists for the most part. Um, there's like a, com- a small committee of uh, people, usually like four, I think five, but like some, but mostly like four or so that vote on each category separately. And then they are uh, voted on uh, by industry types, actors and like filmmakers and stuff um, at a later date. In this case, it'll be on uh, December 2nd. 
Uh, there, what else did they say? Uh, ba, 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 ba. The tributes have already been announced this year for Ava DuVernay, Sam Rockwell, Glenn Basner, and Laura Dern. And working through the categories here uh, from the bottom up, if you have uh, any uh, reactions or comments or questions or anything, feel free to uh, speak out. Uh, breakthrough Series Short Form, uh, Pen15, Rami, Russian Doll, Tuka and Birdie, Undone. I will admit to you all, Russian Doll's the only one I've ever heard of here. <laughs> <laughs> so anyone heard of any of the others at all? Or Yeah, Pen15 was uh, Emmy nominated and Tuka yeah. and Birdie is a BoJack Horseman spinoff. Pen15 is surprisingly good, I gotta say. Nice. Uh, breakthrough series long form Chernobyl, David makes man, my brilliant friend, unbelievable, and when they see us. Um, I will be slightly shocked if David Duvernay is getting a tribute award and when they see us does not win. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um. So we'll have to wait and see what happens there. Uh, breakthrough actor, a uh, combination of both uh, men and women in this category: Julia Fox and Uncut Gems. Um, as the only person here who's seen the movie, definitely a great find. Aisling, Franciosi, and the Nightingale. Yeah. Hell yes. Yes. So happy about that. Uh, Chris Galust for Give Me Liberty, which I have admittedly not seen. Uh, Noah Jupe and Honey Boy. I know that yes. made Nicole very, very happy. Uh, and yeah, that kid, that kid is extraordinary in that movie. He's so good. Yeah, it's great. Jonathan Majors in The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Oh, that, that made me so happy. Fist oh, pump man. in the yeah. air. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and Taylor Russell in Waves, who yes. I, I know you all have heard. She dominates a huge, huge chunk of that movie. And so I, like many other people, when I watched it, I was like, who the hell is this? You know? And uh, she, I think she, her only other credit was... Escape Room. Escape Room. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my have. gosh. But yeah, no, very, very exciting list of, uh, you know, actors here that truly, in my opinion, have broken out. I, like I said, I haven't seen Give Me Liberty, so I can't really speak to Chris. But otherwise, uh, great, great list here. Uh, Breakthrough Director Award. Lord de Clermont for uh, Lord de Clermont Tonnerre for The Mustang. Uh, Ken Jones for Diane. Joe Talbot for The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Olivia Wilde for Booksmart. And Philip Humans for Burning Cane. And I will just say for the record, like I've seen Burning Cane, and I, I know that director is like super young. I think he's like 19. Yeah, he's super, Seriously? super young. Wow. Mm -hmm. yeah. Wow. Um, I, I, I admittedly I wasn't the biggest fan of that movie, but like it's really, really cool that for such a young, you know, new director on the scene that like his movie's getting, you know, recognized here and there, which is nice. Uh, Ken Jones for Diane made me very, very happy, mostly because I just respect and love uh, what he's done with the New York Film Festival. And he has stepped down now from his position there, and he's going to be uh, you know, making feature films full time. So for his debut narrative feature film, for it to get the recognition that it got here uh, is really, really cool. Olivia Wilde for Booksmart. Uh, I mean, guys, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. With, I just saw a Vigilante recently. So good. And she is so amazing in that movie. And obviously her work on Booksmart was very, very praised. I would not be surprised if she got a Best Supporting Actress nomination for Richard Jewell because she's just having, I think, one hell of a year. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's a great year for her. And if you guys haven't seen A Vigilante, you should definitely check it out. Like, please, it's so good, guys. 
Okay. All righty. Best screenplay. Lulu Wang for The Farewell. Tarol Al- <clears throat> Alvin McCraney for High Flying Bird. Jimmy Fails, Joe Talbot, and Rob Richard for The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Noah Baumbach for Marriage Story. And Ari Aster for Midsommar. I was kind of shocked that Ari Aster got a nomination for Midsommar, actually. I'm, like, shocked by it strictly because uh, I just didn't think that this movie had any awards heat at all yeah. with critics. Yeah. And I'm not saying that it does. Like, this could be, like, a one-and-done thing, and it may not pop up anywhere else throughout mm-hmm. the rest of the season, you know? But I think I think at the end of the day, I think they just like him. Yeah. yeah and, and it's hard to blame him. <laughs> yeah, that's I mean, true. They gave it to Tony Collette last year. And uh, I think uh, the work here is is is, is pretty remarkable. I got to say, uh, screenplay. I don't necessarily think of screenplay with this, except for the story, um, the story elements of that. Um, I I'm very happy to see it at least getting some play. Yeah, and High Flying Bird, man, you talk about a January release yeah. that like just kind of came back. You know, like yeah. that that was pretty cool. Uh, best actor, Willem Dafoe in The Lighthouse. Hark. Because I, I don't know what else to say in regards to that, but that's what? awesome. Yeah, what? What? <laughs> what? <laughs> Adam Driver in Marriage Story. Aldous Hodge in Clemency. Yes. Andre Holland in High Flying Bird. And Adam Sandler in Uncut Gems. This is very A heavy. <laughs> <laughs> this is a great group. Including A24. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. I think it's pretty, pretty clear that Adam Driver has like a clear path here. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, yeah. Best Actress, Aquafina in The Farewell. Elizabeth Moss in Her Smell. Mary Kate Place in Diane. Florence Pugh in Midsommar. And Alfrey Woodard and Clemency. Here was something that I said a couple of weeks ago uh, that I didn't say on air necessarily, but I'm going to say it now. This year has been so, so strong for Best Actress mm-hmm. that it is killing me that the default Oscar uh, contenders that were kind of like circling around as getting the possible nominations feels so safe compared to just the talent and the amazing performances that were done this year, but they were done in smaller, less recognized films. And this is a great example of that. Look at yeah. these five. Oh my yeah. God. I mean, it's, I, was, I said like when this announced, I'm like, that is a flawless lineup but then again it'd be really hard to not have a flawless lineup with all the great work in this category this year right it's good stuff but at the same time they snubbed what i consider the best performance by leading actress this year which is scarlett johansson in marriage story you know it's interesting you say that because i don't view like stuff like this or indie spirits as like oh they got snubbed i i just think that like there is a degree of how do I say? Like, there's a degree of, well, this person doesn't really need the push. Yeah, there's a degree of advocacy, especially yeah. in these early awards. Yeah. See, but the thing is, the entire film got praise for, from this bench besides Scarlett. So that's like, I know, like, when this came out, everyone was like, okay, it's fine that Scarlett didn't get it. But if she's clearly the front runner for, like, most of your lists, and she's not on this, she's not on this ballot where, you know, Adam Driver is, and the film is, and Bombeck is, that doesn't give you guys a little bit of maybe she has a little bit of a harder battle to climb i, I want to reiterate what we said at the beginning and that is that these awards uh, well and when i say these awards i mean gotham I, I i wouldn't 
I wouldn't put too much stake in them as far as like predicting goes. You know what I mean? Oh no, yeah. So at the end of the day, they're they're fun. It's a good way to kick things off. It's a little light. The stakes are low. You know. Yeah, and last year's best picture was The Rider. Uh, yeah. It yeah. was delightful yeah. to see that get some recognition, but I don't think anybody ever thought that, that this would be a precursor. I mean, Tony Collette won Best Actress for Hereditary last year over Glenn Close and The Wife. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and we all thought. We all Dan, thought I don't want to have PTSD again, okay? Five minutes. Uh, best Documentary, American <laughs> Factory, Apollo 11, The Edge of Democracy, Midnight Traveler, and One Child Nation. I am starting to see a bit of a consensus start to form a documentary a little bit here. I've seen Edge of Democracy and American Factory pop up a lot. Obviously, Apollo 11 is going to continue to pop up a lot, but we're all, I think, collectively thinking that that's going to be the major snub at the Oscars, most definitely, probably. Yeah. And One Child Nation is doing really, really well. That and Honeyland um, are two that – it didn't pop up here, but those are two that continuously keep popping up, I've noticed. And, and One Channel Nation will be streaming on Amazon Prime at the beginning of November. So that's perfect timing. Yeah. And then Best Feature, The Farewell, Hustlers, Marriage Story, Uncut Gems, and Waves. And something just fell in my apartment. <laughs> it's a bit surprising that um, Hustlers was in here when it didn't show up anywhere else. Yeah. What I'm, what I'm more surprised by is... Isn't it not – I guess it is eligible, but isn't it not eligible because of the size of the budget? Well, apparently it was $20.7 Oh, OK. <laughs> so like just on It's like barely making it. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean I'm happy it's here, you know. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think the big story here is uh, The Farewell did very well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean getting in for feature, actress, screenplay – Uh, That was a pretty good haul for it. And I think that that's a movie that, especially with these early awards uh, this early in the season, really does need that kind of a push. So the Gothams are doing exactly what they're supposed to do, I think, specifically Mm -hmm. for that movie. Yeah, they really planted the flag, which is what what this uh, particular film needs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And to a certain extent, uh, Waves, I think, getting into the Best Feature category is also uh, pretty big because the buzz on that film has been uh, waning a little bit, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That was a pleasant surprise. Absolutely. Uh, Is there anything else here that jumps out at you guys? I think it's big that Aldous Hodge got in Best Actor for Clemency. I mean, I I also think that that's a show that if Alfred Woodard is happening, it may be foolish to bet against him showing up in supporting actor as a coattails nomination. I I'm gonna be completely honest with you. I thought he stole the movie from her, honestly. And I've heard that a lot. Yeah. It's a really, really, really good supporting performance. Uh and Casey, you could you could definitely report back later tonight when you uh, yeah. see it. I'm excited to see it. All righty. So then moving on from that, uh, we also had the International Documentary Association uh, nominations as well. Uh, There's a lot of categories here, but I think the big main takeaway, once again, as I was saying uh, earlier, was we saw uh, the biggest little farm uh, pop up. We saw Apollo 11 pop up. American Factory was here. Edge of Democracy for Sama. For Sama is one that continuously keeps popping up more than. 
uh, The Cave, which uh, Dan and I, we both saw that one. I have not seen Forsama yet. And now I feel like I really need to because there seems to be a bit of a growing consensus with that film, it looks like, as well. Well, if you if you don't if you can't see it in the theater, it's going to be on PBS in mid November. D- Tom, I love that you know like nice. when all yeah, these are coming. This is great. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, uh, but yeah, like I was saying before, Midnight Family, Honeyland. Um, it's really starting to like kind of come together a little bit. Like what that field uh, will start to look like. Um, I admittedly have mated as my current predicted Oscar winner for the category. And I was kind of shocked to see it not show up um, in a lot of places. So I don't know. Uh, You know, it's still early days, though, at the end of the day, right? Yeah. And then last but not least, uh, the Australian Academy of Cinema and Television Arts. uh, They're mostly recognizing films that uh, have been made by the Australian uh, film system. So we saw... (laughs) A lot of crossover and like across every single category for like three very specific films that were like Hotel Mumbai, The King and The Nightingale. It seemed like in almost every category of those films like popped up everywhere. Uh, But then you had some stuff like Judy and Punch, Hearts of Bones, uh, Top End Wedding. Uh, But they mostly from the from the looks of things tended to like nominate the same films in each category. So I wouldn't put too much stock in those. Yeah, I mean, like this is like I said, the very, very beginning of uh, phase two of the award season. And once we uh, get to, you know, that Thanksgiving time, it'll be New York Film Critics Circle, Los Angeles Film Critics Association, National Board of Review, National Film Critics Society. It's just going to keep on coming, baby. (laughs) The storm is upon us. When all is said and done, I believe it's, what is it? It's like over, it's like almost 40. I think it's like almost 40 critics groups across the country or something like that pretty crazy when you think about it. Hey everyone, I'm Jason. And I'm Lee. And we are the Atlantic Screen Connection Podcast. We look to take a magnifying glass to the films you love with a warm atmosphere and a good laugh, new releases, retrospectives, and absolute classics all reassessed and reviewed. Check out the ASC Podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes, or keep in the loop on Twitter by following me, at film underscore faculty, or Lee, at Big Pick Reviews. That counts as a promo, right? Right. Alright, cool. Alright, well, I guess we'll cut here. See you later. <laughs> Welcome to the Atlantic Screen Connection Podcast. So speaking of critics and reactions, we got the first reactions to Greta Gerwig's Little Women. Mm. And I will admit, I've heard some mixed things about it. And I don't know what to believe necessarily. It seems like the praise is there for certain elements and it seems like people are being uh, respectful and kind of coy about uh, some other elements as well. But at least it's not a, you know, quote unquote stinker. You know what I mean? Like it yeah. doesn't sound like it's disappointment. It just may not be at the level of greatness. It could just be on the level of it's good. Yeah. Like when the reactions first came out, they were all it's stellar. It's amazing. Like you're going to be off your feet like this is like she's still has it. And then couple hours later it was like you know it's good great performances some of it's okay and then a couple hours later it was like if you don't know the story you won't get it so it was a weird so again I'm with you Matt where I don't know exactly where to align myself and where to set up my expectations for a film like this obviously I love everything about you know Greta Gerwig and Saoirse Ronan and Chalamet and Dern and Streep and Florence 
but I just don't know, should I read the book before going into it in order to actually know the story? Or can I see it clearly with a blind eye? Because that was my intention going in on the movie. But now seeing this reaction is like, should I watch, should I rewatch, you know, the 90s movie? And should I see that? And should that be, can I, can I see this movie by itself is my main question, really. I think that if it's a good movie, you shouldn't have to do those other things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's my own feeling. Uh, and that's how I kind of go into every movie for the most part. I like, I don't like, like if it's a remake or something like that, I, I don't like to have that other one so prevalent in my mind because then I will be making that comparison instead of taking this new version on its own terms more. And I feel like I'm going to then put it at a disadvantage. Yeah, but we I get I what you're so saying. many people tweeting that, saying like, if you don't know the story, if you don't know the book, if you haven't seen the movie, it's not going to be as good or it's not as enjoyable by far as other people would say it is. And I think it's made with that intention. You know, maybe this is just a love letter for people who grew up with the book and live their lives through these characters from the book. And sometimes it can be okay to have a movie that's not for every single person and maybe more for a specific subset. Mm. Yeah, I, I understand that part of it because, like, for example, um, something like The Lighthouse is very niche, I, I would say, in terms of, like, what it's doing stylistically. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, though, that doesn't mean that there should be a lack of coherence in terms of the story. Yeah, it should stand on its own. That's my opinion with, like, any sort of film. I think a film should be able – it shouldn't need anything else or a secondary outlet or source or – project in order for your audience to really get what it's saying right um one thing that is definitely clear is that it seems like Saoirse Ronan and Florence Pugh were the two that got singled out the most from the cast and they seem to be looking uh like I don't want to say locks but they look pretty good for best actress and best supporting actress nominations uh, I, I also wouldn't put it past, uh, you know, based on some of the reactions I saw too for Greta Gerwig to get into adapted screenplay, yeah. precisely because it seems like she adds a more um, modern flair to this story, and I think people will really like appreciate that kind of an update for a modern yeah. audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that of the two screenplay categories, mm-hmm. adapted has more room. Yeah. 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 So uh, we'll wait, obviously. Um, I don't know when the actual review embargo is necessarily, but um, the reactions are out there. Um, It looks like it will be a contender in a couple of different categories. It just may not be contending for uh, the win, you know, for best picture um, in the end is all. And um, I I wanted to say for the shallow maniacs that are listening right now, I also did not see uh, an overwhelming (laughs) amount of support for him in the supporting actor conversation. But... I didn't say I didn't see anyone say that he was bad either, so that's good. Mm-hmm. Mm. All right, moving on from that, uh, we do have one trailer to talk about this week: upcoming movie, 2020 horror baby. Yeah, it's Halloween season over here at MVP. Uh, this is Antlers, which is starring uh, Carrie Russell, Jesse Plemons. It is directed by Scott Cooper, who has given us movies like Crazy Heart, um, uh, Hostiles, Black Black Mass, and. It is being produced by Guillermo del Toro. Let's take a look. Yeah. 
for Carrie Russell after the American <laughs> game, I think she can do no wrong. I loved how this trailer was cut. Yeah. Um, I don't know what it is about like rhythm cut trailers, but they always seem to work for me very well. Same. Reminds me very much of something like a serious man in that way. Uh, and I, I, I just always really, really get a kick out of that. And I love the fact that there's practically no dialogue yeah, in this like trailer. That. Yeah. Yeah. It's like settling on the mood and the visuals, which, by the way, the visuals in this look great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I just hope I never hear that stupid horror movie trailer boom, like jump scare (laughs) noise ever again. That's the one thing that I'm always just like, fuck, just don't do that. Yeah. I get it. Sell your movie. (laughs) Get it. I just like, I, I think that the cinematography a lot, it's very dark. Yeah. Like, it's not very well lit, and I saw this in theaters, and it was actually hard to make out some of the things that were happening. Yeah. Which is not exactly what you want to see, but... I will say this about Scott Cooper. He's a director who I think has made consistently good movies, but he has not made a great movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Like... There's something about each one of his movies where I'm like, dude, you are so close, so close to this movie being great. And there's just some elements in it that I'm just like, ah, oh, man, like I got to I got to hold it back. I will say this, though. Hostiles played so much better on a rewatch uh, for me. And I think that might be my favorite film of his now um, oh. after rewatching it. But like Black Mass has some issues. Out of the Furnace is definitely very messy. Yeah. Crazy Heart is admittedly one very good performance from Jeff Bridges and also too Maggie uh is pretty good in that movie too. Well, I think that's a pretty good movie, Crazy Heart. Yeah. yeah, but that's what I mean though. Pretty good. You know? Where's 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 the great? <laughs> yeah. It's interesting that it was it's being released by Fox Searchlight. I know he has a relationship with him from Crazy Heart. Yeah. But uh, it doesn't really feel like a uh, you know searchlight film. Yeah. But uh, we'll, you know, we'll see. Uh, it at least is getting out. So we'll, see, you know, it's an April release, I believe. Here's another good thing too, and somebody pointed this out to me, um, which is that it comes at night. Really burned people the wrong way. Mm-hmm. In terms of hinting that there was some sort of a monster or something like that, and then obviously there wasn't really. The monsters were the people themselves. Uh, at least this mo- this trailer like shows us some visuals that you know let the audience know that there is something going on. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's not gonna uh, hopefully play with people's expectations in the wrong way. So that's I-, I think that's very comforting. Also, too, Jesse Plemons. I've been like waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for this guy to just do something. Also, <laughs> like really like on another level. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, he was great in other people, and he's always been, like, consistent across the board as, like, a character actor, but as far as, like, leading a movie and having a performance that makes us all, like, really stand up and take notice, that hasn't happened for him yet, I feel like. Yeah, yeah. he was wonderful in Game Night, but it wasn't the right vehicle. Oh, I love him in Game Night. Mm-hmm. It's so great in Game Night. And I'll just go back to one last thing that uh, Dan started us off with. Carrie Russell. I mean, come on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she's awesome. Love her. Love her so much. Absolutely. Alrighty, so that'll be released uh, April seventeenth, twenty twenty. Definitely looking forward to it. Might be one of the better genre films of next year. And now we're going to end it with some questions from the fans. So uh, let's take a look here and see what we got this week. So Roxanne Danis asks, 
with Rocket Man, which seems back in the Golden Globe and Oscars race, which movie or performance that had big buzz in the festival circuit will be snubbed in your opinion? Mm. Oh. So it could be a fall title, just something that's been within the festivals. Mm-hmm. I see a world where, as well as the movie has done, Jennifer Lopez sort of falls off before nomination morning. Mm-hmm. Mm. See, I think she's a lock in the category. Mm. No, I, I can see it. I don't think it's going to, but, you know, that type of movie and that performance, uh, I think it's more something that people really want to happen than it is a certainty, even though I I do have her predicted. I think uh, Florence Pugh and Little Women could knock her out. Mm. Mm -hmm. If it happens, I'm ready to eat like crows do with Matt being like, I called Florence, I called Florence. Yeah. (laughs) I called that shit early. (laughs) <laughs> you all you all were like the role's not big enough and it's like yo but she's having a year yo mm-hmm. she's having a year i could see tom hanks missing Ooh, uh, dan, dan had strong feelings on this i no i just have been burned enough by this academy and their relationship with tom hanks I, especially I, in a really competitive year for supporting actor i i, I will say this he also has internal competition in the same movie from Chris Cooper, uh, who is fantastic and I fear will get written off because of Hanks. It It is not a traditionally Academy lovable performance, but I, it is so good. And it's one of those borderline lead performances where it's clearly a supporting performance, but his presence looms over the whole movie so much that I, and he's so key to how well the film works that I cannot imagine a world where they don't nominate him. I really, really can't. Okay. Uh, This question comes from Scott Kernan with the announcement of the golden globes category placements. Isn't it a bit odd that Us has been placed into the drama category while Get Out, a much more serious awards contender, was placed into comedy? No. For me, to be honest, Lupita could have easily have won for comedy actress. And what? here's what I'm, I'm going to just say really quickly. Us is a much more serious movie than Get Out was. Oh, yeah. Get Out was a sad yes. Yes. Yeah. And I And I want to be very, very clear about this, too. Um, and this is no disrespect to you, Scott, okay? But uh, this is like for everybody out there right now. Just because you're placed into the comedy musical category does not make you less of a serious awards contender. Mm-hmm. I want to just be very, very clear about that. And I really, really hate that a lot of people seem to think that. I get it's like a perception thing, you know? But Take a look at this for just one second here, all right? These are the, this is the breakdown for the Golden Globes as we know it right now. For drama, all right, you have 1917, Ad Astra, The Aeronauts, The Banker, which is an Apple film, by the way. What? Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, Bombshell, Clemency, Dark Waters, Downton Abbey, Ford v. Ferrari, The Good Liar, Harriet, A Hidden Life, Honey Boy, The Irishman, Joker, Judy, Just Mercy, The King, The Lighthouse, Little Women, Marriage Story, Queen and Slim, The Report, Richard Jewell, The Two Popes, Us, and Waves. Now, 
Is there anything in that drama category that you feel should be a musical comedy? And in all honesty, like, does it really diminish it if it really was placed in a musical comedy? You know what I mean? I mean, from everything I've heard, the two popes, but I don't think I, that diminishes it. Yeah. I don't consider that movie a comedy, but like, I, I think also just like the studios are making that distinction now too. Like we're seeing move like so many of those movies that's like almost seems like they're like same with like in recent years with like things like three billboards and can you ever forgive me of being like afraid to go into the comedy category almost. And it's like, why? It's, it's <laughs> almost like the, the uh, category is tainted after the uh, controversy that the Martian was in. Uh, Maybe several years ago. Maybe. And then for a musical comedy, we have book smart cats, Dolomite is my name, Good Boys, Hustlers, Jojo Rabbit, Knives Out, Late Night, The Laundromat, Long Shot, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, The Peanut Butter Falcon, Rocket Man, Uncut Gems, What Men Want, Where'd You Go, Bernadette, and Yesterday. Yes, cats. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm going to just say for the record, watch out now for Adam Sandler to get musical comedy actor nomination for Uncut Gems. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was I was very, very shocked that that actually ended up in uh, musical comedy. But that's like one of those examples here this year where I think that's in the wrong category, personally speaking. Um, it has funny elements in it. But like, for example, and, uh, you know, I know some of you have seen the movie at this point. Could an argument have been made for Marriage Story to go into musical comedy if it really wanted to? Yeah. No. Uh, really? You think so? Uh, I think so. I think it's same with something like Lady Bird. Yeah, I, I think that's a good comparison. That, or actually, like Francis Ha was considered yeah. comedy. Like just things where it's more of a dramedy. Let's put it this way: I think that Marriage Story is more of a comedy than some other stuff. Personally, yeah, that's true. And I will say it's one of the funniest movies I've seen this year. But when I think back on seeing that movie a week ago, you know, the funny moments certainly do stay in my memory. But it's the poignant moments that really stick out. Yeah. Also, too, if we're playing by the old rules of like, you know, my week with Marilyn or Walk the Line, Judy should be a musical comedy. I mean, I don't see there's any real difference in terms of balance of comedy and drama in Rocket Man than in Judy. I think they both should be in the same category. No, Rocket Man is structured a like a musical. The yes, musical that is function true. As a musical, Judy is, it does not function With, like that. Yeah, their performances on a like their performances within the film as opposed to like yeah, yeah. Fan, so, almost fantasy yeah. sequence. So it was Judy's, a drama with songs. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, Judy's very much like My Week with Marilyn where like it happens but it doesn't progress the story as in something like Rocket Man, which is very much mm-hmm. musical based. So Still can't get over my yeah. week with Marilyn. That is one musical number. I just yeah. <laughs> So my question to you guys is are we in favor for um breaking the precedents that have been set? Or would you rather it was just like, you know, even though it's wacky and sometimes it's like, well, what the hell? Like they're just trying to get awards. Would we just rather it be consistent? Yeah, I'd ra- yeah. I'd, yeah, I'd rather it be consistent, I guess. Yeah. I just think these two categories aren't it's useless because we always have these arguments and these debates about like what's a comedy, what's a drama. And I just think there's like a predisposition to think that the comedy or musical is just not as good or not as important as the drama. I feel like people raise yeah. the drama more important and more valued, especially when it comes to award season, which I don't think is fair because I think art is art and it's subjective and it's just as important and just as valued and it should be just as valued as the drama. So 
I understand spreading the wealth and nominating as many films as possible, but if we're going to do that, let's value both genres or different types of films just as much as we value the other one. Okay. Yeah. All right. Next question. Sticking with Golden Globes here for a second, Zoe Jewell asks, if you had the guest today, who's winning Best Actor Comedy and Best Actor in a Drama at the Golden Globes? I guess we'll also extend that to uh, the actress categories as well. Hmm. So... Knowing what I know now about the musical comedy placements, I think actor comedy is most likely going to be DiCaprio, but I'm going to go with a surprise because Golden Globes tended to do surprises. I think Taron Egerton could pull it off for Rocketman. Oh, absolutely. That would be nice. Yeah. I think it's between those two and Eddie Murphy. I think that's Yeah, yeah. yeah definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. On the actress side of things... Um, so this was something that's very interesting. So The Farewell, Pain and Glory, and Parasite are going to be in the foreign uh, category at the Golden Globes. They are not going to be in drama, musical, comedy. However, the a- acting by anyone in those movies can be placed in the uh, actor or actress uh, for drama or musical comedy. In which case, if Aquafina gets a nomination, that is something I could see happening for The yeah. Farewell. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna be a little risky here and say that they do what they done in the past with like Christian Bale, The Big Short, and move a supporting Oscar player into lead. And mm-hmm. I think it's gonna be Jennifer Lopez for Hustlers. That would be really cool. Well, the Globes will want to get her in the awards. Oh yeah. Yeah, they want to get her. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's borderline to begin with, and it's the way to give her a win. Yeah, because otherwise, looking at the category, do you just go with, like, Emma Thompson for Late Night, Meryl Streep for The Laundromat? Yeah, and the Booksmart girls probably cancel each other out, unfortunately. Yeah. Kate Blanchett's probably going to get in for Where'd You Go, Bernadette. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. yeah. I think Anna You know who's probably going to get in? Julianne mm-hmm. Moore, Floria Bell. Oh, that could happen. I would love that. I'm not sure. That I, I, I think it's yeah. just early and too quiet. But, Although I give the yeah, club in these comedy categories and the acting for nominating these smaller performances that people end up forgetting about. And I, the, the category things get a little wonky, but I'll, I'll give them credit where credit's due when they nominate these smaller performances that people haven't seen much of. I'm so surprised that they went for Julie Delpy and Before Midnight. As great as yeah. she is, that just yeah. does not seem like Hollywood Farm Press material. No. They do like foreign actresses. Which is why I'm, I'm telling you, I think Michael is right. If Jennifer Lopez gets put in lead for whatever reason, she has it. Well, I don't want to, I don't want to say she has it, but um, I think it is between her and Aquafina. Then at that point, yeah. yeah. If if she doesn't and she just goes into supporting, like she should, uh, then I think Aquafina wins it in a cakewalk. Unless, unless, if. They are not going to give it to Charlize for Bombshell and drama, and they want to give it to her for Long Shot, which would be freaking awesome, <laughs> you know? She's great. She is. And she you is. said that the farewell was a comedy. Yeah, honestly, that's the one that, if there's any category placement that pisses me off, it's that one. Why are we assuming that it would be nominated in comedy for Aquafina? I think that's where they said they were campaigning it now. Yeah. I haven't heard that. Okay, maybe maybe they are. I heard, I heard the same thing, but wow. hey, if somebody else hears otherwise, feel free to let us know and, uh, you know, correct us. Uh, on the drama side, I, I have no freaking clue because it's <laughs> yeah. just so, everyone's over there. 
Yeah, everyone's over there. Like yeah. Scarlett's over there. Uh, Charlize Theron's over there. Right. Renee Zellweger is over there. Cynthia Revo. Jesus, I don't. I uh, Saoirse Ronan's over there. I, I don't know. You know, I don't know what to do. As actress is so tough this year. Really uh, I could definitely see Hollywood Farm Press giving it to Jonathan Price. I could see that, but I think, uh, hear me out. If Bohemian Rhapsody taught us anything last year, <laughs> I, I think Joaquin and Joker could surprise and piss everybody yeah. off. Yeah, would piss people. Mm-hmm. The the foreign journalists of the world have no problem with that movie. <laughs> Hey, he's great. Whatever you think of the movie, he's really, you know, putting in the work. He's great, yeah. So. But, I mean, I I think Adam Driver gives the performance of the year in Marriage Story, and I'm going to be upset to see him lose, even to good people like Joaquin. Mm -hmm. I definitely think uh, it's between those two. Oh, yeah. yeah, No, yeah. It's going to be, that's the race. Absolutely. I I mean, which is why if someone like Jonathan Price were to win here, uh, that would be great because it would shake things up. Yeah. 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 Mm. Maybe they could nominate Marriage Story as a drama, but then just put Adam Driver in musical comedy because he sings. (laughs) (laughs) No. Speaking of the two popes, James Scott asks, with the Festival Audience Awards being won by the two popes, does this solidify the film as a potential Best Picture nominee? Or do you think it'll be like, can you ever forgive me, acting, screenplay knobs, and nothing else? I am leaning towards the latter, personally. Yeah. I have it in my 10th spot, but I'm not even confident in that. The biggest thing I keep going back to is I just can't see a world where Netflix gets Irishman, Marriage Story, and The Two Popes all in for Best Picture. Yeah. One team company used to do it back in the day. Get three in? Don't underestimate Lisa Tay back. (laughs) No, I'm not underestimating. It's just one of those things where that's a large chunk of the Best Picture nominees, you know? That's huge. Before, just not with this particular studio, but they have all the resources and ammunition behind them. Harvey never got three contenders in in the same year. I'm pretty sure. I'm going to go back. Two, yeah. Two, yes. But three? No. No. Maybe it wasn't him then, but there have been studios. I'm. I'm fairly. No, I. I went back. I went back at least 25 years, and I want because I wanted to know. Um, and I did not see it anywhere. You got to remember that there were only five. Most yeah. Yeah. In 2000, I was thinking 2012 for some reason. He got Silver Linings Playbook mm-hmm. and uh, Django Unchained. But then it was the master that got all those acting nominations. Yeah. All right. So uh, Ben Locker uh, asks, what are the chances that Margot Robbie gets double not? Oh, wait, that's against the rules. You can't do that. The same category now. Well, although I will say. Although I will say, I think that her two performance, her two supporting performances are, and this pains me, going to cancel each other out, and she's not going to get nominated for anything. Until this use improves me otherwise, that's what I think is going to happen. Maybe it's the kind of thing where, like, she gets, like, like what if, like, SAG nominates her for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, then somebody else nominates her for the for Bombshell. Like, I, I can but see exactly that. Exactly. I see for this happening. Yeah. Because I see for SAG definitely the ensemble of Bombshell getting in. Yes, I do too. Well, that was, yeah, yeah. Same for once upon a time. Uh, yeah, Hollywood too, once upon so. a time, Hollywood. Yeah. So, actually, great, great question here. Isaiah Washington asks, "Who are some of your early SAG ensemble predictions?" For me, I have JoJo Rabbit as my current front runner. Ooh. I Ooh. actually have Once Upon a Time in Hollywood as my front runner. Yeah, I think that's in. I think Irishman's in. Oh yeah, Irishman definitely. I could definitely see Hustlers. Yeah, I would say Hustlers is in there. And, and so there's be so the much fun. Could make it in there. 
and, and given their past uh, voting history, I'd say Downton Abbey has a chance. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Do not count out Downton Abbey at all. Especially I think sad. Bombshell is going to get in. I hope Bombshell, so. I expect Bombshell to get in. That yeah. There is not a fault. There's not a single bad performance in that movie. Everyone is great. So let's say Bombshell, Hollywood, Irishman, Marriage Story, and Jojo Rabbit. I think that's a good five. Yeah. I, I'd I go with that. I would love it if Jojo Rabbit gets in. I'm not as confident about it as you are, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> I would be surprised and excited if it did get in. I'm not yeah. going to That would be a sign of it. strength that yeah. It, oh, yeah. you're going to play through. If not Jojo yeah. Rabbit, then maybe Downton Abbey or Little Women, unless that gets like the post-treatment. I'm just really curious. Um, Parasite's not disqualified but for any reason, right? No. Parasite is eligible. They're weird with foreign. Like they didn't. They don't really do foreign. They're they're weird about that. I think because of the voting system and like who's typically voting in their nominating committee and how wide that branch is. I feel like lately they've been going for more populist films or films that have made a good amount of money. Right. Like it would qualify, but they just probably wouldn't even have it on their radar. But who knows? It could. That would, let's put it this way. If it shows up at SAG, I think that's a big deal. Yeah. It's a huge and deal. Something to note about Parasite, too. You know, I saw it this past weekend at my local art house thinking it was just going to be the title that stays there for a couple weeks. Looking at the titles for this coming week at, like, the big chains, Parasite is going wide. It's going everywhere. Yeah. Neon wow. is really pushing it. And they rightfully should. They should, yeah. yeah. They're being, I think they're being supremely smart with it. Uh, they yeah. know what they have, honestly. Yeah. yeah. And the thing with that movie is usually, and I don't want to, you know, pigeonhole these foreign language films, but when we see a foreign language film in America, it tends to be thought of as like a small independent art house film. Mm-hmm. Parasite happens to be a foreign language film or international film as we're calling it now. But over in Korea, it's like a big genre populist hit. Yeah, no, it made, I think, over $100 million worldwide before it even opened here in the States. Yeah, so this is a movie that, if it were in English, would be on, like, 2,000 screens across the country. I wish I could check Box Office Mojo and see the breakdown right now, but I can't read Box Office Mojo anymore. <laughs> uh, I mean, this is really... Parasite, I think, is hearkening back to the days of, like, uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and Amelie, where foreign language films, they made bank. Yeah, and, like, Pan's Labyrinth. Pan's Labyrinth also, yeah, made uh, quite a bit of bank, you're right. Roma would have made bank last year if it wasn't Netflix, to be honest. And I think Parasite has the benefit of the type of genre is and the type of film it is. Like, it's not a boring, yeah. quiet movie by any means. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah. made by Bong Joon-ho, who people know here for Snowpiercer and Okja. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. As I'm looking at the SAG nominees, right, over the last decade or so, you have things like Best, uh, Best Exotic Barigold uh, Hotel, Bridesmaids, Crazy Rich Asians, um, Big Sick. So uh, Captain Fantastic is the number one, too. Uh, I guess what I'm getting at here is, like, we do tend to see um, these comedy uh, ensemble films squeak in that rightfully deserve to be there for their ensemble. But it's not something that we immediately, like, think of off the bat. What could possibly be that film this year in this category? I would love it if Booksmart got in. (laughs) I have a feeling it could be Dives Out. Yeah. Oh, After yeah. Seeing, yeah. yeah. That's true. Yeah. Like, it's like, you know, we're not predicting it for best picture or nothing like that, but is anyone going to complain if Knives Out got an ensemble nomination? No. <laughs> <laughs> I would love it. If you notice in the advertisements, they, they're selling it as an ensemble. 
Yeah. 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 Which, you know, for the record, don't be surprised if uh, someone like Daniel Craig pops up in uh, musical comedy actor at Globes either. I, you oh, are yeah. talking to the president of the Daniel Craig for leading actor, all the leading actor awards this year club. Yeah. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> he, he is quite funny in the movie. He's very so funny. funny. Yeah. Right now, Gold Derby has him in fourth place in, uh, for a nomination. There you go. Really? For the Globes. Yeah. <laughs> okay, for I the mean, Globes. I can okay. see them nominating him. He's who can't love yeah. him. And especially when you see the movie, it's like, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. All righty. Uh, with that said, does anyone have anything else to say before we go? No. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to just say uh, thank you to everyone for sending in your questions every week. I know that we sometimes can't get to all of them. Sometimes we cover them in our discussions uh, prior to earlier on in the show as well. So we hope that most of your questions are definitely uh, getting answered by us. But don't let that discourage you. Keep sending us questions every week and uh, let us know um, if you would like for them to be discussed here on the show. We really, really appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, what else? Uh, what else? What else? What else? Oh, I've got I've got one other thing, one other housekeeping item. Uh, we did do uh, one other poll this week that I forgot to mention earlier. It's okay, uh, but it is going to be a reoccurring thing as we get closer to the end of the decade. We'll start asking end of the decade questions, um, and we'll start having our audience kind of try to whittle down certain things for us, um, and then we'll um, release some articles pertaining to it. It'll hopefully provide some discussion, which will be nice. So for this week, uh, due to it being Halloween week, we asked everyone which is their favorite horror film of the decade. So you can head on over to the polls page on nextbestpicture.com and vote on that. We will reveal the winner of that poll next week. And then, you know, that'll keep on changing every now and then. And uh, we'll try to hopefully come to some sort of a consensus on what the decade ultimately meant for us. All right. Uh, Anyone else have anything else to say? We were talking about Parasite's box office. And even though box office mojo is ruined, we have (laughs) some information from other internet sources. On 129 screens this weekend, it did 1.81 million. Nice. Nice. Which brings it to 4.10 million in North America on just 129 screens. Jeez. It's going to keep growing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's really playing like an English language uh, art house hit. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. The top of the box office this weekend, a little development there. A Joker returned to the top spot. Really? Wow. Wow. Yes. I'm telling you, they got something with it. It's well, it's already the highest grossing R-rated film of all time. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I like I said before, don't be surprised if after the precedent last year with Bohemian Rhapsody winning at the Globes, I just like seriously, do not be surprised. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Jojo Rabbit expanded to fifty-five theaters and mm-hmm. earned. A little over a million dollars. I'm a little taken aback by... Mm, no, I guess it's performing well. It does have an A Cinema score, which is nice. Yeah. That's good. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that I think that film will have legs. I think it will have legs as the weeks progress, you know? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. As more people see it and convince their friends, like, no, it's really good, mm-hmm. It'll that'll happen. I, I wanted to ask a question of you guys, because with the... We were talking about Saigon Ensemble... Does anyone think that Avengers Endgame stands a shot at getting in there? Black Panther got in, although that was a much more serious best picture contender. Dad, do you really want to live in a world where Irishmen and Avengers Endgame end up in the same category anywhere? <laughs> that would be so much fun. 
that's going to be visual <laughs> effects no, probably. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, that's our visual effects class <laughs> this year. Like, no, no, they'll never. Now I so want it to happen. It's never going to end. It's never going to end this year. <laughs> oh, man. Long live yeah. cinema. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, Dan, now that you bring it up, I do think it is possible, um, especially if, you know, we did see Black Panther get in last year. I wouldn't be surprised. It, it would definitely – and you know what, too? It would not be unearned. Yeah. I think that that cast does phenomenal work. It would be uh, – listen, if they don't show up anywhere, like, throughout the season, like, you know, no Globe nomination, uh, let's just say they don't get PGA, for example, or nothing like that, and all they get is a SAG Ensemble nomination, low recognition for all these people for all these years and so on and so forth, yeah, I could deal with that. That's awesome. I mean, like, there's no bigger – star-filled cast this year, you know? I think right. they deserve, like, something, whether it's, like, a tribute at the Oscars or Kevin Feige gets, like, an honorary something. He does deserve it. Yeah. I don't see the cat. I don't see an ensemble nomination happening, but I do think that there, there needs to be, like, a little, you know, tribute, because what they did, particularly Kevin Feige himself, has obviously never been heard of, but the cast, they all have their own thing. I mean, like, you know, Chris Evans is in Knives Out. Scarlett Johansson has, you know, Jojo Robin and Mara Story, and she's kind of preoccupied with those, I think, over Endgame. So I don't really see, you know, the film itself getting stuff like that. You know what, Scarlett Johansson, actually, yeah, getting in for possibly Marriage Story, uh, an ensemble for Marriage Story, and Avengers Endgame, that would be pretty crazy for her. And actually. having Black Widow coming out, like, five months later. Yeah. That's another part of the reason why I think uh, the Her rise Lawrence. of Florence Pugh is happening so much right now, because I do believe it's going to help aid uh, Black Widow next year. Mm-hmm. So anyway, uh, one other thing. Uh, sorry, I, I know I keep saying like, you know, one last thing, one last thing. I'm like, you know, Steve Jobs at Apple over here. Um, Academy uh, Governor Awards happening tonight. David Lynch, West yes. Duty. Lena Wertmuller and uh, Gina Davis all receiving uh, honorary awards. Uh, well, Gina Davis is receiving the Jean uh, Herschel Humanitarian Award. But man, oh man, I am so happy to live in a world where David Lynch has an Oscar, even yeah. whether he cares or not. Yeah, I would. Would you? Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Laura Dern uh, presented it to him. I don't know. I don't know what the layout is for that in terms of who the presenters are, but you know, I, I'm sure she will the be there as an Academy governor. Yeah. yeah, it makes sense. And, and West Duty, thank God, that's yes. seriously so good. It, here's here's the thing. I, like I I love it. Obviously, it, it really does annoy me that he's the first Native American actor to receive an Oscar, and he's receiving it honorarily. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it it is a nice bit of progress, but at the same time, it's like we can. Do, it, it, to me, it's a signal that we can do better. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's it's true, but you know, he, it, it apart from the symbolism of it, he's a good actor. Absolutely, he really is, yeah. he's always been great. Deserved this recognition. Yeah, man. Last in the Mohegans, uh, he was great in Hostiles uh, recently. Yes. Uh, people may not notice, but he was an Avatar underneath uh, layers and layers of CGI. <laughs> <laughs> Remember that movie? Yeah. Uh. Yeah. So no, it, it's really great. And uh, Lena, I'm going to get this right. Lena, Lena Wertmuller. Wert, I can't do it. Yep. Lena Wertmuller, uh, first woman to ever be nominated for uh, Best Director. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is just a great lineup of honorary Oscars here. Yeah. So congratulations to all of them. And uh, with that said, uh, Michael, where can I find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at mschwartz95. Dan? 
You can find me on Twitter at Dance and Dan on Film. Casey? You can find me on Twitter at Casey Lee Clark. Lauren? You can find me on the Twitter at Lauren Lamango. And Tom? I'm on Twitter at Thomas E. O'Brien. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to episode 165 of the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content, including an upcoming review of The Shining, which will be our first Stanley Kubrick film that we will be reviewing on the show. It might run four hours long. I have no idea, but <laughs> <laughs> lots to unpack with that one just in time for Halloween. And we cannot wait to discuss it and, and have you all hear it. Thank you so much once again for listening. As always, we shall see you all next time. <laughs>